Time to Travel with Karen Key. Well, a very good evening to you and welcome to this week's edition of Time to Travel. On the show this evening, we'll be heading off to Cambodia with freelance journalist Kerry Harvey. Teresa Shevawa, MD of Trafalgar, will be in studio and we'll be chatting about their new inspired holidays. And this evening, we'll be finding out about their tour of the World War I and World War II battlefields. And that's something I'm really looking forward to chatting about. And then I'll be giving you lots of information about a number of exciting events coming up around the country. And if you need any information about something you hear on the show this evening, you can find it on Facebook. Just go to Travel on SAFM. If you'd like to still contact me directly, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za. So that's the lineup for this evening. I do hope you'll stay with me and enjoy the show here on SAFM. Time to travel with Karen Key. So, a few exciting events on the calendar. Murati, the historic Stellenbosch estate, well-loved for its unique old-world ambience, distinctive wines and warm hospitality, is once again hosting its series of summer music concerts, offering something for every musical taste. Well, if you missed the first one, there are still three more concerts coming up, so make a date in your diary for Sunday the 10th of February, Saturday the 16th of February, and Sunday the 10th of March. And then staying at Murati Wine Estate in Stellenbosch, they'll be holding their annual Harvest Festival Open Day on Saturday the 23rd of February from 11.30. It's a celebratory family event featuring good food, fine wine, great company, live music and lots of fun stomping the newly harvested grapes. Well, for more information, you can email them on info at murati.co.za and Murati is M-U-R-A-T-I-E. So it's info at murati.co.za or you can call them on 021-865-2330, And then Joburg will be hosting Josie Fest. It's a new up-and-coming two-day festival which has been scheduled for Sunday the 3rd and Monday the 4th of February, but dates are still to be confirmed. And that will surely be one of the highlights for entertainment in the Johannesburg region. There's music, the Josie Fest Market and the Josie Fest Carnival and the Art Design Video Photography Exhibition. And venues include the Town Hall, the Woods, Carfax, MASH, Two Street Stages and Car Street in Newtown. And for more information and for tickets, you can have a look at Ticket Break. And as I mentioned earlier, that's on www.ticketbreak.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, I received an email last week headed the weird, wonderful and just plain kooky hotel requests for 2012. Now, most hotel staff could write books about the strange side of human nature they see at work. But since discretion is the watchword, none of those experiences are ever likely to see the light of day except on the Protea Hospitality Group's annual list of weird and wonderful guest requests submitted anonymously by staff from their 125 properties all over Africa. Well, the list of things guests ask for is topped by a handful of pretty standard requests like cell phone chargers, toothbrushes, razors, extra blankets or more pillows. Well, you know, you kind of expect that in a hotel. Now, I'm not going to go through all of them, but here's a taste of the rather strange requests. Now, we all know that it's not the easiest thing to fall asleep in strange surroundings. But few adults are in need of a lullaby. But that's exactly what a rooms division manager in Gauteng had to do when a burly guest insisted that being sung to was the only sure cure for his insomnia. And strangely, he was right. Well, singing a lullaby is small fry compared to the Cape Town GM who had to go out to a mall at 8 p.m. searching for a goldfish for another guest who insisted that she'd never get to sleep unless she could watch fish swimming. And food is another area where things can move into the twilight zone. Hotels are used to dealing with guest allergies and intolerances, but few are equipped for odd requests like the Eastern Cape chef who had to magic up goat meat for the guest who wouldn't eat anything else. Or another guest in the Western Cape who sent back his room service soft-boiled eggs five times until the chef finally figured out that the man would only eat eggs with speckled shells. And while it's not uncommon for airlines to misplace luggage, the fallout can sometimes give hotels big headaches. One guest relations manager in Cape Town had the unenviable task of finding a ball gown for a guest at 9pm one Sunday night when her luggage went AWOL somewhere between the States and South Africa. Well, that's nothing, though, compared with a poor receptionist also in Cape Town who had to go hunting for a pair of size 12 stilettos for a Priscilla Queen of the Desert guest who was due on stage in two hours and the airline had lost his shoe bag. Well, the request that probably takes the cake, though, is the executive who called down to the reception of his Bloemfontein Hotel one night, 
demanding a fortune teller be sent to his room to help him make a decision about a multi-million rand deal. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, I'm joined this evening once again by Kerry Harvey, and she's a freelance travel journalist who's just spent the most fabulous time in Cambodia. It's not one of those places I think that many South Africans travel to, although I think possibly it is starting to gain in popularity. But Kerry's recently been there and she's come back with the most wonderful stories. Kerry, good evening. Welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So I think what people, when you mention Cambodia, what people think instantly is Angkor Wat, which is fantastic. And we're going to talk about that. But there is so much more to Cambodia, which we'll touch on a bit later but where did you start when you got there at Angkor Wat actually Karen um, I think it's it's probably the natural starting place for anybody going to Cambodia because it's also it's fairly accessible by air and it does also set the scene or give you the the foundations for what Cambodia is and who the people are so yes Angkor Wat it's it's amazing it's it's so big it's completely defies all description um, I think it's considered to be the biggest religious complex on earth so it's like the Cambodian equivalent of the pyramids I guess it is a temple for those who don't know what it is it is a temple it's pretty much almost in the jungle very much surrounded by jungle it's it's part of the ankle complex which is many 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 temples um, Cambodia is very well known for Angkor Wat because of its size and its beauty and it's surrounded by a moat and it's deep in the jungle but Cambodia actually has over a thousand similar temples but obviously not of the scale of Angkor Wat. Angkor Wat is by far the biggest but very close to Angkor Wat are many other Angkors as well, Angkor Tom and a few others that are all huge temple complexes all interlinked um, so it's a, it's a massive area that's entirely temples. It's a very special place for Cambodians. It is indeed. It's uh, strangely, Angkor Wat is a Buddhist and a Hindu temple combined because the faiths in Cambodia, the faiths didn't actually merge, but the people merged. So they actually share a lot of their temples, which is very interesting and very unusual as well because you don't, you don't often have a meeting of faiths. The sculptures, I mean, it's not just all about the, the standing outside and looking at the temples, but they also have all sorts of, of reliefs and sculptures and all sorts of things inside the temples as well. They do. All the temples, in fact, um, literally kilometers, um, if you were to measure them, kilometers of relief work and tens of thousands of figurines that, uh, that have been carved into the sandstone walls. Um, it's completely inconceivable. I mean, e- even when you see it, you can't actually, you know, grasp it. It's, it's just it's literally mind-blowing. And I think Angkor Tom, is that where all those stone faces are? Yes. In the Angkor Tom complex, one of the temples of the complex is Bayon, um, which is these massive stone faces. I think there, well, there are well over 200 of them. When I say massive, probably two stories high, each oh, face. Each face, gosh. Each face. Okay. Absolutely amazing. And they were actually carved off-site and then chopped into blocks and then placed where they stand today. So you can see the join marks in the faces in these huge, huge blocks of stone. Gosh, it's one of those once-in-a-lifetime things. I can remember going when I was in Cairo and standing in front of the pyramid and thinking, I can't actually believe I'm standing here Mm. and looking at this amazing thing. And this must be something similar where you stand there looking at it and think, I can't actually believe I'm looking at this. It's it's absolutely it's it's such a good analogy because it's quite a surreal experience. You know, you've seen the pictures, you've read yeah, about yeah. it and now you're here and you actually can't take it in. It's so majestic. It's one of those once in a lifetime bucket list type things. Most definitely. Right, so now I mentioned it's in the jungle or it's surrounded by the jungle, but if you go further into the jungle, I think there's something called Top Prom. Tell me about that. That's actually quite a famous destination, if you like, if you're a movie buff. Exactly. So Top Prom is very deep in the jungle and it's it's almost as if they cleared an area of the jungle, built to prom all those hundreds of years ago, and the jungle's reclaiming to prom because it's, it's the Tomb Raider temple. It's where Tomb Raider was filmed. So it's the temple where those massive roots are literally climbing through the, the stone blocks, in between the stone blocks, and changing and rearranging the temple. Um, so it's very primeval-looking and, again, very surreal-looking. Quite amazing. 
Right, so now where did you go after that? Because, I mean, you must have literally been shattered by the experience. I mean, it, it's quite overwhelming, something like, like that whole site there. Um, what did you do after that? Because what else could compare with that? <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it's hard to imagine. But Cambodia, well, there's nothing to compare, you know, exactly to Angkor Wat and something that is so beautiful and man-made. But the rest of Cambodia is just strikingly beautiful and I think the the biggest asset of all, while you know Angkor Wat and the whole Angkor complex is, it's a, a world heritage site and it's one of the wonders and all the all that on all those lists. It's the people of Cambodia that are the real asset. So from from Angkor Wat, which is actually very close and surrounding the town of Siem Reap, um, and Siem Reap is close to the banks of the Tonlesap lake which then flows into the Mekong River just to give a little bit of perspective. So a really great way to see Cambodia is to go down the Mekong River. It's one of the world's great, great rivers and it's it's very enchanting and very evocative as well. And to see life along the river because that's real Cambodia, how people are living. So that is what I did. I sailed um on on the Amalotus River boat from Simrip down the Mekong River and Along the way, there are floating villages and, you know, people going about their daily lives. It's a very waterborne existence along the river, obviously. So people are planting rice and they have their daily markets and, yeah, it's, it's daily life for them. And when you talk about daily markets, um, these are actually floating markets. People, and they live on these floating and they're boats really boat houses that they have but I mean life they live when you say life along the river it's pretty much life on the river it's life on the river because while there are floating markets that are literally markets in boats and floating villages with people they're not living only in boats they're living in literal houses that are floating on mm. the on the river's surface but many many people are living in villages that are they live in stilted houses so because Cambodia for half the year there's a rainy season so the water level changes dramatically and they need to be you know above the water and so stilted houses is uh, that's the main sort of look of the villages along the river the one thing that if you can't miss when you're in a place like Cambodia is rice because i mean that is the staple diet but their food there is it's it's I remember when my son was in Cambodia, spoke about how fresh the food was and the wonderful sort of organic and and the fish. And what did you? What was your experience of the of the food there? The Cambodian food, you expect it to be something like Thai food or Vietnamese food because they're neighbours, and it's nothing like either. When you ask Cambodians about organic, they look at you as if you're crazy because they only do organic. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is that's the only thing they grow is completely fresh and organic and natural. So their food is absolutely extraordinary because it is so, it's such clean, pure tasting food. And the the ones that, the Cambodians that don't farm their own food and literally pick it out the garden for lunch or dinner, they go to the market daily to buy food because they don't, they don't keep anything. It's absolutely fresh from the day, picked that day, eaten that day. And Lots of herbs, lots of very delicate spices. The food is spicy but not hot. And lots of use of coconut milk and coconut flesh in their food as well. So delicious coconut curries. Mm, Sounds really good. Really, really good. Now, their their mode of transportation is uh, rather different to what we would be used to here. Somewhat. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Cars are, especially out of the, the capital city, Phnom Penh, um, cars are not prolific. They, they, are, they are there. They are, there are enough cars to sort of make it look like a town in a city, but the average person would ride a tuk-tuk um, or a moped, and a regular tiny moped can easily seat four to six people, and a tuk-tuk, of course, can carry anything. So tuk-tuk being a moped that tows a little carriage, a, a sort of miniature carriage. And that's either for people going places or for goods. It depends what they need to do. So, yes. So they can pretty much put anything on the back of anything. Absolutely anything on the back of anything. I mean, we saw on normal mopeds, we saw water buffaloes, live water buffaloes being transported on a moped. A water buffalo on a moped. That's yeah, correct. It okay. was it was sort of slung along the side of the moped. We saw 
double beds and fridges on mopeds and usually not with one person, more than one person on the moped plus the fridge. So yes, they can transport absolutely anything on a moped or in a tuk-tuk. Well, it must be for some interesting viewing if you stand on the side of the road. I mean, you could spend the whole morning just watching the traffic watching going the by. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's, it's completely, you left speechless half the time. You know, uh, huge floral wedding arrangements that are twice the height of the driver on the back of the tuk-tuk. <laughs> um, or any array of livestock, and it is live on the, on the moped. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite comical. Kerry, I'd like to talk a little bit in, in a moment about Phnom Penh, but before I get there, you just picking up on something you said earlier, you mentioned the people of Cambodia, and you, you seemed quite taken and quite impressed by these people, quite, quite an amazing people, the Cambodians. They truly are. I was, you know, for me, Cambodia was a means to get to Vietnam down the Mekong River, but actually Cambodia was it. And the it of Cambodia is definitely the people. And they, Karen, they're such unusual people in the sense that they are, they've, they've been through terrible genocide and some awful atrocities in the very recent past, being the mid to late 70s when the Khmer Rouge obliterated about a quarter of the entire Cambodian population. But yet they have an attitude of moving forward they are extremely peaceful they have no sense of being owed anything um, they all take responsibility for themselves there's no begging everybody's working they they're desperately poor but they're growing food and they're eating fresh food and they're healthy and they're happy and of course the the buddhist culture also has a lot to do with that that it's a peaceful forgiving culture but the people really do touch you and almost by not actually doing anything just by being around you um it's a it's a very peaceful place and very welcoming and very hospitable and just completely surprising to me before we went on air this evening you actually mentioned to me that the people reminded you or you thought that possibly it was an entire country of nelson mandela's Yes, there are only 15 million Cambodians, but every one of them is a mini Mandela, you know, that has been through so much and suffered in some way and been affected so badly by the Khmer Rouge because there is literally not a single family that didn't lose family and friends, you know, murdered by the Khmer Rouge. And yet they have forgiven, never forgotten, because they, they also say they will never allow that to happen again. So they're forgiven, they've moved past it, they're moving into the future, and they're focusing on the future. And while I was there, I just kept thinking, it's 15 million Mandela's living here. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> it's almost in their DNA. Well, it sounds like an incredible place to visit. But now let's just go back to the city, I mean, to the, the capital city, Phnom Penh. How is that? You said 15 million people, and it's not exactly a very big country. So how busy is Phnom Penh? Phnom Penh is relatively small for a capital city. Um, it's it's quite busy, can be at rush hour, quite congested even, because the roads are narrow and, you know, there's a lot of, of sort of small fry traffic, tuk-tuks and, and mopeds on the road. Um, but it's a bustling, vibrant city as well with, with amazing markets and beautiful royal palaces and lots of, Lots of landmarks to see, as well, of course, it was around Phnom Penh that um, the killing fields were and the detention centers and all the the ghastly stuff associated with the Khmer Rouge as well, which I think is quite essential for people visiting Cambodia to also see that because I, I do believe that that's part of the fabric and it's also what's made Cambodians who they are today. It's, you know, very, I can't even say harsh lessons because it's, it's hardly that, it's beyond that. But it definitely has molded them and it's definitely got them to look forward and, you know, to live in the present and look to the future as opposed to be grieving the past. Now, in the city in Phnom Penh, there is one of the royal palaces. I think it's still inhabited by the Bachelor King at the moment. Is that at all, are any parts of that open to the public? Definitely. Um, the whole grounds, in fact, are open to the public and you can, you can walk through and you can see the dance halls and different sections of, of the palace grounds which house magnificent museums and displays of, of royal artifacts and gold Buddhas and 
furniture and that sort of thing. And in fact, while we were visiting, the royal family was in residence. So they have one section of, of the grounds and the flag is up when they're in. But for the rest, everybody's welcome to have a look around. And it's extraordinarily beautiful. And while you were in Phnom Penh, I noticed that there was something that was on offer there, which I have now in the recent year or so seen arriving here in Cape Town. You can have it done here. I'm not sure what the rest of the country's like, but you can go and have a goldfish pedicure. <laughs> yes. I did you go? I've, I mean, I've seen them here and I sort of have been a little bit hesitant. I haven't been for one. I have, did you go and experience one of those? No, well, I have the same sentiment as you. I'm just <laughs> slightly hesitant that this is a normal thing to do. Mm. Um, but I, I spoke to people that did go and they said it was the most unusual experience and very ticklish. And yes, I, I kind of thought it was more of a novelty than anything, but uh, it does appear to be something that's the real deal and people do it well it's, there's there's a number of salons here in Cape Town now that actually offer this as a standard thing and I sort of looked at this and thought well maybe I'll just not go there um, yes. not my thing to be honest but a lot of people will enjoy that I believe so but not quite my thing either <laughs> <laughs> so I mean other than all the, the the palace you saw in Phnom Penh did you go to any other sort of uh, Buddhist temples or any other palaces because the, the architecture and, and the buildings there must be quite exquisite Absolutely exquisite. Um, You know, the Buddhist pagodas are also pretty much open to everybody, non-Buddhists as well. So, you know, the monks are inside praying and the incense is burning and there's there ladies in the back corner of the pagodas cooking food for the monks. It's very much, it's a living, Buddhism isn't really a religion, but it's a living faith, if you could could put Mm. it that way. So as the Buddhists are in and out of all the temples all the time, so are you and I very welcome to pop in too. So everything is wide open. Sounds like a place that you would not mind going back to, Kerry. Not in the least. So, Well, now that we mentioned that part, I mean, how affordable is it for us to go there? If I could use the word alarmingly affordable. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> that sounds good. It's way more affordable than traveling in South Africa. I was absolutely shocked. I, I really, really struggled to spend the money that I took with me, and I didn't take very much. If I can just give you an idea, roughly three nights accommodation in a three-star, very beautiful, clean Cambodian guest house with breakfast, full dinners, as in, you know, the Cambodian curries and all, plus a three-day tour of the Angkor temples and a city tour as well, 800 rand. That was the, in total? The in, whole, total in total? For, in total for oh, all of that. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, all I took with me was about 5,000 rand spending money and I couldn't even spend half of it. Now, the guest house you stayed at, that offered, but this was a package deal, so you had all of that plus the Angkor Wat um, entrance. No, is the Angkor Wat entrance is always additional because it depends how many days you want to go for. Oh, right, okay. So it's 20 US dollars for a day and I think 40 US dollars for three days. And you have to decide at the beginning what you'd like to do. Um, so that's always additional because that depends on you. But yes, it is unbelievably affordable. A, a full dinner with cool drinks as well, probably 25 rand equivalent. Wow. Okay. Well, if I, I've got all the contact details for that guest house. If anyone's interested, uh, just uh, have a look on the Facebook page, the Travel on SAFM Facebook page, and uh, that information will be there if you want to go and pick it up. Otherwise, you could email me at travel at safm.co.za and I'll pass all of that on. Right, but now let's just get back to this. When is the best time to go? Best time to go is, is roughly in our summer because it's it's the driest time there. So November, December, Jan, Feb is a great time to be there because, yeah, there's less rain. Not too hot though. Always hot, always humid. It is very, very tropical, but um, ever so slightly less hot in in our summer so from about may to october is the raining season and that's very very wet and and humid and the interesting thing about cambodia is that you don't have to get your visa before you can actually get it when you get there is that right exactly how does that work at the airport as you arrive you simply join a queue with everybody else and um your passport is stamped and your visa issued on the spot for, I think, around 20 US dollars. Well, that saves a lot of hassle beforehand. You just go there, do it, and you 
there. Absolutely, and very efficient. And unlike most customs officials around the world, the Cambodians, of course, are friendly and helpful. Well, I mean, it just goes, as, as you were saying <laughs> earlier, I mean, this sounds like a wonderful, wonderful place. Yeah. Now, what is? how do you get there? People think, well, how do, where is it, first of all? I mean, it's wedged between Vietnam, Thailand, and Laos. So people think, well, on how earth am I going to get there? How yeah. easy is it to fly in there? It's surprisingly easy, actually. Um, from Johannesburg, I flew Johannesburg, Singapore, and Singapore Airlines, which is direct flight around 10, 10 and a half hours. And from Singapore, a direct connection again um, from Singapore to Simreap, which is roughly two hours, and you're there. Wow. And that, how did, what did you fly there? To, also Singapore Air, or did you fly something else? Singapore's domestic or regional carrier, which is Silk Air. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So very easy to get to, to Simreap or to Phnom Penh, but I flew to Simreap for Anchor Watch. It almost sounds like the airfare is probably your, most, your biggest expense on this trip. Yeah, it would it would certainly be by far the Gosh. biggest expense. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. Absolutely, it's just sounding like this is amazing. Yeah. Right, okay. And then we, earlier when we were chatting as well, Kerry, you mentioned that you went on the river cruise on the Mekong River. Is that How did you organize that? And what was that? Um, that was with Amma Waterways on their riverboat Amma Lotus, um, which is specifically goes only up and down the Mekong. And um, Emma Waterways are renowned the world over for doing river cruises, specifically on the world's great rivers. And so their boats are, are very specifically designed for that purpose as well. And it's definitely the simplest, easiest way to see Cambodia because, you you know, of course, when you're cruising, you don't need to pack and unpack and everything, you know, you take your hotel with you and then do excursions from the boat to the shore. Oh, which were all fantastic excursions, um, you know, seeing real life, seeing silk making and, you know, rice sweet making and how people are living and visiting markets. So it's a lovely, lovely way to see the country and so easy. And this is something you booked before you left South Africa? Yes, yes, indeed. Okay, and where would people find it? You said I'm a waterways, but where would they find it here? What would they look up? Well, the the best is to go to www.cruises.com .co.za and that's Cruises International in Johannesburg and they handle the bookings for Amma Waterway as well as many other cruise lines but they would certainly be able to help with Cambodia. Oh great okay so yeah. that you can do some of the prep work before you go and um, and also can you book the guest house that you mentioned before you go as well? Absolutely um, just on email and they don't even ask for a deposit oh my goodness, in fact okay. they refuse a deposit <laughs> That's that's the level of trust that you will arrive. I'm starting to think people are thinking we're making this up. <laughs> we're not making this all up, are we? No. I beg to pay a deposit and they refuse. <laughs> Right. Crazy. Okay. Yeah. And Kerry, you definitely, and we're not making this up. This is all true. It's and all I true. know for a fact because my son went there about two years ago and came back with a pretty much similar stories that you're telling me now. So this, is, it's nothing has changed. It's all still doing that, and it sounded amazing the first time I heard it, and it still sounds amazing. Kerry. It sounds like you had a wonderful time. I'm sure any opportunity to go back, you'll be the first one on the plane. I will be the first one on the plane, yes. And I would so encourage people wanting to see something different and something really spectacular and meet people that are quite out of our world to go to Cambodia. It's, it's truly amazing, and it is all true. And maybe we can learn something from them. We can learn a lot from them. Wouldn't that be great? Yeah. Wow. Well, Kerry, I look forward to chatting with you again when you, you come back from another one of your adventures. But uh, thanks so much for joining me this evening. Thank you so much to you. I was speaking there with Kerry Harvey. She's a freelance travel journalist, and she's just come back from, by all accounts, a fabulous trip to Cambodia. And if you'd like to find out more, she um, did a, a cruise down the Mekong River. And if you want to find out more about that, you can have a look at a website here. It's www.cruises.co.za, or you can call them in Johannesburg on 011-327-0327. That's 011-327-0327. And she also mentioned a guest house, but if you need any more information, it's probably easier. If you either look at the Facebook page, it's Travel on SAFM, or you can email me, and that email is travel at safm.co.za. Time to travel with Karen Key. And now I need your help. 
If you're a regular listener to the show, you'll know that I always encourage you to become tourists in your own town or city. Now, what I'd like you to do is to take a moment and think about the activity or destination in your area that you most enjoy. And that's not something that everybody possibly knows about or would expect to be there. Think about something unusual or different that you'd like to share, something you'd like to highlight that makes your town or city so special something you wouldn't hesitate to recommend to a tourist to your area. Then send me an email to travel at safm.co.za or post something on the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. And as soon as I have a good selection, I'd like to start a feature on the show called My Town. And who knows, I may even call you up and invite you to tell the listeners all about it. So start thinking and drop me a line. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, joining me in studio again this evening is Teresa Shevawa, and she's the MD of Trafalgar. Now, you may remember a week or so ago, we spoke about the English country gardens tours that they were running. But now coming up next year, now this is something that really fascinates me. Coming up next year, as you might know, it's the centenary of the start of World War One, And Trafalgar have introduced these tours to the battlefields of World War One and Two, And it sounds like an absolutely unbelievable tour. Teresa, good evening. Welcome back to the show. It's lovely to be here again, Karen. Hi. So this is something that really appeals to me. So tell me a little bit about the countries. Which countries are we going to be going to on this tour? Well, here we're going to be visiting England, France, Belgium and the Netherlands. So quite a, quite a, a broad range. You're going to see a lot. Yes, quite lively paced, as Trafalgar would call it. Um, but we make sure again that we have a lovely balance of, um, you know, included sightseeing and time on your own as well. Now, these are one we mentioned the last time. This is, this is part of the group of Inspired Journeys tours that yes. you're running. Yes, three new Inspired Journeys that we uh, introduced for 2013. And, of course, the battlefields of World War One and Two. You know, I just think the name uh, brings back memories for so many people, you know, for history buffs and for veterans and for people that just enjoy history. With that centenary coming up next year, I think a lot of people are going to love to want to go back, to hear more about it, to see the actual sites and this is what Trafalgar is offering. Well if, if you, people aren't really aware of this I mean the 149,000 South African troops fought in World War One, and over 7,000 of them unfortunately didn't come home. That's so there's it. a lot of his South African history tied up in the battlefields over there. Yes no absolutely especially of course the, the Battle of Delville Wood mm. you know that's of particular importance to South African to South Africans um, because it was really the first major action involving the 1st Infantry Brigade on the Western Front and of course, you know, the Western Front, talking about the casualties, you know, it was it's kind of taken for granted that if you had up to 30 percent of casualties, it was it was called off. You were unable to carry on. And with the South Africans, they had 80 percent of the of the South African soldiers um, were down and they continued. And they really you know, that is really quite something. Well, you know, they say that South Africans are, we, we build them strong here in, in South Africa. So, you know, they held the woods for a, quite did. a substantial amount of time. And it's gone down in history as one of the bloodiest battles of 1916. So, you exactly. know, it's something that from a strange perspective to be proud of our men who fought over there. Tell me when, this, when the first tour is going off. Are you waiting until next year for the centenary? No. Well, what we've decided to do is to have a few departures this year as well. We've actually got departures with the exact same itinerary where you can go and really enjoy and discover all those sites from the 5th of April this year right through until August. And then next year, we're doing exactly the same period from the 5th of April to the, to the 17th of August, actually, is the last departure. So it's a 12-day trip. And um, we have eight itineraries departing each year. Right. So now we're off on the trip. Where are we going? Where do we start? And what can we expect on this tour? Well, um, you can expect to have a local expert telling you, hearing a little bit more depth and meaningful information about every single site you visit. And, of course, we start in London. And, again, with our inspiring journeys, it's not all just about one topic. You know, you're in London. You want to get to enjoy London. We make sure that you get a little bit of time on your own to see all the world-famous historical attractions. And, and you know, London has so much to keep you entertained. 
We then get everyone together. The travel director, who is really a wealth of knowledge, gets the entire group together. Because now remember, you've got English-speaking people arriving from Canada, Australia, New Zealand, you know, what have you, all getting together, meeting each other, and really finding out exactly what to expect. You know, the travel director. Before we go any further, let me just ask you this, Teresa, because I think a lot of people listening to this would think, well, this is a South African tour. But this is a, it's an international tour, it's, so you're going to be meeting people from all over the world. Yes, exactly. You're traveling with like-minded English-speaking travellers. Okay, right. So we're in London now. With we're all in us. London. Okay. Right. So we do include a lovely little sightseeing trip with a local guide where you get to see the Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament. You'll get to go and see Westminster Abbey, the Buckingham Palace. And it really is just like a half-day intro- introductory uh, visit of London. But then we take you off to the Imperial mm, War Museum. Now, this amazing. is where it all starts. You know, people are excited. They want to hear what are we going to see about the war. Everyone's talking about the history of the World War One and Two. And, you know, the, the Imperial War Museum really tells the most wonderful, fascinating stories of those who lived and those whose lives were shaped by the war from the First World War right to present day. So it really is a fascinating visit. And you get to see the important weapons, the vehicles, everything that they use, including the Spitfire that saw action in the Battle of Britain, actually, as well. So that is your first touch of the war um, and history that you're going to see. Right, okay, now off to day three. Now it's getting really exciting. Now here, because, you know, that journey from London is quite a journey to go all the way to to Portsmouth because you're still going to visit the D-Day and the Overlord Embroidery Museum. You're going to get to hear all about the 1940 victory in Normandy and that wonderful uh, museum centerpiece at the Overlord Embroidery. Um, I was reading up about it the other day, actually. It's 83 meters long, and it really is the most fascinating piece of art designed by Sandra Lawrence, actually. Um, so there already you're finding out step by step things that happened during the war. Um, it was all inspired by the Bayeux Tapestry, of course, and right. it was all a tribute to the efforts and sacrifices of the Allies in, in defeating Nazi Germany. So you get to stop in Portsmouth. You enjoy lovely free time there. You know, it's a, it's a historical sort of dockyard. You get to see the HMS Victory, the HMS Warrior, the 1860 and the Spinnaker Tower. So you always, as we're going, we're making sure that the journey covers all those spots, which is really lovely. And then you're going to go on an an overnight ferry to France. And, of course, when you arrive in France the next morning, you're going to be arriving at the Normandy beaches, the famous Normandy D-Day Normandy landing beaches. And um, I went there many years ago, and it's a most fascinating place to visit because you really get to learn all about the British, the Commonwealth, and the American involvement. You visit Omaha Beach and the American Cemetery. It's a most beautiful place, actually, to see. But all those beaches like the Aromanches, the Gold, the Juno, the Sword Beaches, you get to hear about all of that as well. And, of course, to see that famous Bayeux Tapestry. Right, so now that's quite an emotional day of what it happens really on day is. five. I think the entire trip, you know, you mentioned it being emotional, but, you know, I don't think you need to have fought in the war or lost somebody no. in the war to get emotional because even just reading up um, and investigating this, it, it is quite touching the stories that you hear and read about along the way. But the next day on day five, we're going to visit the Memorial Decan and Museum. And here you actually learn about the significance of the of Normandy and you get your little souvenir D-Day landing beach booklet, which is quite something. And it will be something that you've been there in, in the period leading up to the commemoration and the centenary anniversary. And you travel to Amiens and you visit the cathedral that was built apparently around 1220. And it's also listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And further reading up about that cathedral, you'll discover that that was actually called the Cathedral of Our Lady. And that is where they actually hospitalized the injured soldiers during World War One. World War One. So, again, a very interesting place to visit um, if you have interest in, in learning about the World War One. Right. Off to the Somme battlefields, which yes. I think we, most of us would know about the Somme yes. battlefields. That that's really is quite some place to yes. visit. That's From 1916, six. yes, that's when the Somme battlefields took place. And that's at Teepval. You'll get to see Teepval Memorial and Memorial, sorry. And uh, you get to see, um, you know, that is really where they honor 72,000 mi- missing British and South African men who died with no known grave. 
So it's quite, um, again, quite an emotional visit. Um, and of course, then you continue to go and see Delville Woods as well. And of course, that's where the battle took place between 14 July and 13 of September in 1916. And this is where South African Brigade had suffered substantial losses. So it really is interesting to see. We talk about South African and having substantial losses. But, you know, on the Western Front, usually you'd be considered incapable if you had casualties of up to 30%. But in the South African Brigade actually suffered losses of 80%. Yet they still managed to hold the wood as ordered. You know, so it was, it's quite significant and it's quite a moving story that they tell you. So that's the visit to Delville Wood, and then we continue on to Paris. Here you get to go on again, you get to see a bit of Paris, go on a local sightseeing trip. You get to see the Champs-Élysées, the Arc de Triomphe, and the Notre Dame. And this is all included, and you get to go to the second, uh, second level of the Eiffel Tower. Now, again, many people say to us, but goodness, isn't it going to be very busy at that time of the year? How long is the wait? With Trafalgar, there's no queuing. All the sites we include have been prearranged. The tickets are pre-bought. So there's absolutely no wait when you get to something like the Eiffel Tower. And, of course, you also have an opportunity again where you have free time in the afternoon to decide to go and see something like the Palace of Versailles. Now, that's also a very worthwhile visit. I was there a few months ago, and I thought it was absolutely lovely. So that's your time in Paris, and it leaves you with a little bit of extra time in Paris to do something that you might want to do. Go and see the sights. Paris isn't such a, a huge city, so you can get to see quite a bit of Paris. You actually need that break because you had a very emotional time up to that point, and you, I think you just need this break away from the battlefields just for a day yes. or two to sort of gather yourself towards yourself again and prepare yourself for the next leg Absolutely. of the journey. So that, that's day seven. But day eight, you also have a relatively quiet day. Yes, because then now we're traveling towards Lille and we visit the city of Reims. It's here again, a famous for its magnificent cathedral. It's the Notre Dame de Reims. And it was the, the formerly the, the place of the coronation of the kings of France. So it's also become um, a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 1991. And Reims is also uh, functions as one of the centers of the champagne production. So here again, we're bringing in a little spin. And to take your mind off, you know, the sadness of the World War One and Two, we'll take you off and let you learn and discover how champagne is made. Have a taste, have an opportunity to buy some champagne if, if you like. You know, this is actually known as the largest champagne producing um, area. And it's known as the Le Grand Marques. And here they have the headquarters in the city. So there's a lot of champagne flowing in Reims and a lot of opportunities for you to have a few different tastings. But we do include one before we carry on to the Eeps uh, battlefields the following day, which, of course, is also the Eeps uh, salient. You see sites such as the, the uh, Tynecott, the Langemark, the Vancouver Corner, and many, many other uh, places of interest. For instance, one of the places that people are really going to enjoy seeing is the stop in Passchendaele, because here you have an included visit to that wonderful memorial museum of Passchendaele and um, where you can actually see a replica trench now we were talking about that earlier Karen about the trenches and yes you know to right. actually see a replica that's 20 foot deep with headquarters accommodation a communication room a first aid post with historical pictures and films to view while you see it it really does take you back a few years you know, gets you in touch with and gives you a good idea of what it was really all about. And the one thing that, that fascinates me about in that area as well, um, you can also go to Menon Gate. That's the oh, last yes. post ceremony. And I always remember wow. my dad who fought in the Second World War. He always told me every time he heard the last post, it used to make the hairs on his arms stand yeah. up. It was just That's such an emotional thing for him to hear it. Yeah. Um, and they do this every evening at, at uh, 6 o'clock, I think. 8 o'clock. It's 8, 8 o'clock every evening. But can you believe that that gate, you actually have a road running through the gate. So normal traffic every day is driving through that. And at 10 to 8 every day, they stop the traffic, the police arrive, they get ready, they go through the salute every single day. It's been happening since, I think, 1928, and they had a short break during the war, but it continues every day, no matter what the weather. So it really is quite a moving experience, and I think, wow, that is really a fantastic um, sort of final um, salute to the fallen and, and the people that really lost their lives. And also on the, there's the Essex Farm Cemetery, which has ended up being of quite some, if you invert a commas, historical value because of what was done there 
by yes. somebody who, who is now laid to rest there, basically. Yes, absolutely. You know, that lovely um, Lieutenant Colonel John McCree wrote that lovely immortal poem in Flanders Fields. I'm not sure if you've ever heard mm, about it before. I have, yes. But yeah, so everything. And he's buried there. And he's actually buried there. So you can go and see his tombstone as well. So there's just so much to see. And I mean, for any historian, anyone that, as I say, has this interest, even those that might just want to hear more about it, they're going to absolutely love this trip. Right, day 10, where are day we off 10. to now? Oh, this is a lovely day, because now we're going off to Amsterdam. But on the way, you're going to stop at Grusbeek and the National Liberation Museum. Now here, obviously, we're now traveling across Belgium into the Netherlands, and we're going to stop at Grusbeek Canadian War Cemetery and Memorial. And this contains the remains of over 2,000 Canadian soldiers who lost their lives in World War II. So that's quite something to see. And then the next stop we visit is the National Liberation Museum. And this really brings the past back to life. Here you're going to see original film footage from 1944 to 1945 during the war. Little dramas, speeches, music. They've made it so interesting. Um, And at the end of all that, you actually get to sit in one of their tea houses and enjoy a slice of what they call liberation cake, um, you know, after you've heard all about it. So it's really, really worth the visit. Um, And, of course, later we visit um, Arnhem. In World War II, during Operation Market Garden in 1944 in September, the British 1st Airborne Division and the Polish 1st Independent Parachute Brigade were given the task of securing the bridge at Arnhem. And and the events that took place there were dramatized in the movie in 1977 called A Bridge Too Far. I remember that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, if you're interested in and you want to go on this tour, it's nice to do a little bit of research, see that type of movie, because it just all adds to this wonderful experience that you're going to have when you go on the actual trip. Then you can see the bridge named after Major General John Dutton Frost, who commanded the British forces that reached and defended the bridge during that battle in September 1944. And then we arrive in Amsterdam. Now, in Amsterdam, we have a two-day um, stop, which is quite a nice pace. You know, all along the way, we've had these two-day stops, so you're not rushing and packing and unpacking every day. And this isn't a battlefield stop. This no, is actually it's a relaxing not. sort of heritage, if you like, stop. Yes. You can go and look at art and architecture and yes. museums. There's so much to see in Amsterdam. Absolutely. And we do include a little orientation trip. But what I wanted to suggest is that anyone that's doing this trip has to go and visit Anne Frank's house. I was about to say that. I, yes. I didn't see that on the itinerary. And I thought, well, if I had a free moment, that is exactly where I would be going first stop. Exactly. It's right in the center of Amsterdam, so it's not difficult to get there. But this is really a museum with a story. You know, Anne Frank's hiding place turned into a museum. How lovely is that? And it's dedicated, of course, to, to uh, the Jewish wartime diarist Anne Frank. And it exhibits everything of the life and times of Anne Frank, and it highlights all forms of persecution and discrimination. It's a very, very interesting museum to see. And I think to end this trip off, you know. I was going to say, did you see recently in South Africa was a woman who would have been, if Anne Frank had been alive, would have been her stepmother because it was somebody who had married her father after the war. Yes, I did. An interesting woman to listen to. Absolutely. I mean, the stories that Mm. you hear and and to see these museums after you've done a trip like this, I just think it's a wonderful way to end off, you know, the entire trip. But of course, Trafalgar do also include a Be My Guest experience, again, where we really try and give our guests a truly authentic authentic experience by inviting them into a home of um, a Dutch family. They get to hear all about uh, the Dutch culture. They get to enjoy a delicious Dutch cuisine meal. And that is how we end our trip off that evening. Right. So what is this going to cost us now, Teresa? Well, this trip, it's a 12-day trip, as I say, quite lively paced. um, And it's selling for the entire land package. That's from when you arrive in London Right until the last day when you end in Amsterdam, it's going to cost you 23,650 rand. Okay, now that excludes the flights, but it's bed and breakfast, is it? Well, it's bed and a full English breakfast, first class hotels. And what else is included? Well, we include five evening meals. We've got a lovely welcome reception with snacks and drinks. We've got that Be My Guest dinner I spoke about. And of course, we do serve the local wine with two of our dinners. All these sites, all the entrance fees that we mentioned that we include are all included. 
and and most importantly, our travel director, who, wow, is the most amazing usher, the local experts that we include to give them really meaningful information about what they're seeing and their transport right from day one until they end in Amsterdam. So it's a fabulous, fully inclusive package that we're offering. things like tips and baggage handling, all of that as well. All the baggage baggage handling, hotel tips, uh, porterage is all included. So it's a lovely trip. And we do have our special offer still running until the 28th of February. Oh, right. And and I would say, Corinne, that listeners need to know that this is a trip that you need to book way in advance. That's one of the reasons that we came out with the dates for 2014. So how many people actually on each tour, though? Up to 49 maximum. But anything from, say, around 22 to 49. Okay. So depending on the interest, but and I would it, say book it, is early. It, is it a case of if there aren't enough people booked that you would cancel the tour or not? I mean, if you had 25 well, sometimes people, we reschedule. Well, sometimes we reschedule, yes. If we okay. need to reschedule, we may. But that's why we say book early. All We've right. ha- already had a keen interest of people calling and asking us about it. And especially the departures in 2014 are going to be a sellout. Mm. Without question, they're going to be a sellout. But we have got a special offer running until the 28th of, of February where you can save 7.5% if you book and just pay your deposit before that date. And then you only need to think about paying the balance 90 days before you leave. So if you think about that, it gives you a lot of opportunity to pay it you know, quite comfortably before you leave. And, of course, the price is guaranteed. Right. So if people want to book, how do they do that? They can contact their ASATA travel agent or they can call our offices on Johannesburg 011-280-8400. And please, I welcome everyone to get onto our website and have a look at this itinerary, read more about it, see the other inspired journeys that we're offering. Our website is www.trafalgar.com. We really have so much to offer on that website. Now, we mentioned at the beginning that there was yet another one of these inspired journeys coming up. What is that called and when can we talk about that? Well, I'd be very happy to talk to you about it. It's called The Flavors of Italy. You know, people that go to Italy, there's something about food in Italy. And we decided to put on something very special where we can really make sure that guests get to taste all the flavors of all the different parts of Italy. So I'd be very happy to talk to you well, about that. definitely have to talk about that. Teresa, once again, thank you so much for your time. It's been wonderful chatting with you. And I'm sure there are loads of people that are going to be absolutely thrilled that there is now something for them. This Battlefields tour just sounds incredible. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to chatting with you about the flavors of Italy in the not-too-distant future. Thank you very much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Corin. I was chatting there with Teresa Shevawa, and she's the MD of Trafalgar. Now, if you're interested in going on one of these battlefields of World War One and Two tours, there are a couple of things you can do to, to book. You can either call Trafalgar directly in Johannesburg on 011-280-8400. That's 011-280-8400. You can take a look at their website. It's www.trafalgar.com or you can get in touch with your local ASATA travel agent. Time to travel with Karen Key. Well, the year was 1961. Your eyes met across the dance floor as Chuck Berry was belting out how you were going to twist again like you did last summer. Her skirt was flying about as widely as her grin as she twirled, and you knew in that moment that she was going to be your wife. Well, if after the leisurely courting she's still your beloved bride after 50 years and you want to spoil her this Valentine's Day, then Protea Hotels is offering you the opportunity to spend the most romantic night of the year with them for free. Consider it their second honeymoon gift to the living proof that true love does indeed conquer all. And if you're one of these lucky few who have been married for 50 years or more, then visit www.proteohotels.com to select your free room for your romantic night away. You can get in touch with them on that same website. All the contact details are there and just discuss it with them. It sounds like a wonderful opportunity. If married 50 years, isn't that absolutely marvelous? And that's it for Time to Travel for this week. I'm Karen Key. Thanks for joining me this evening. And I'll be back with you next Monday evening just after nine with a law report. And, of course, being the first Monday of the month, Attorney Michael Begram will be in studio and we'll be talking about labor law. And this month we'll be focusing on disciplinary hearings. So join me then. Well, if you need any information about something you've heard on the show this evening, you can email me on travel at safm.co.za or take a look at the Facebook page, Travel on SAFM. And don't forget to drop me a line to let me know what you'd recommend to tourists in your town or city.